If you would turn with me to Romans chapter 8, the epistle to the Romans chapter 8, and we'll start reading with verse 1 and go through 11. This is, in some respects, the center of the book of Romans, and it's some of the most important things he has to say and what he has been building up to. So hear these words from Scripture in Romans 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Let us pray. Lord, we do thank You for Your Word. And we pray now that Your Word would speak to our hearts in the remaining moments of this service. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been talking about the Spirit for about four Sundays. And I think it's important to speak of the Holy Spirit as His universal role, especially in light of the Epiphany, where God is no longer just revealing Himself to the Jews, but instead has now broken out to even Gentiles and all people. It's what the prophets spoke about and prophesied about, that one day the Jews wouldn't have to tell everybody what the law is, but instead the law would be written on the hearts of human people. How? By the Spirit of God. That's how. The Spirit would be given freely, not just to kings or prophets or priests, but instead to all people. And so, Paul, in the climax of his book speaks of life in the Spirit, as opposed, as you can see, to life in the flesh. Life purely lived for the body, for the moment, for pleasure. 
but instead life is only found in the Holy Spirit. As I said last week, we are meant and designed to run off of the Holy Spirit, not whatever else we want to put in our bodies. Not whatever else we want to live for in our life. But instead, we are designed to live off of the Spirit of life. He's the one who gives us life. And so this morning, I want to focus on five words in the New Testament that tell us that we belong to God and how we know that we can belong to God and how we can be assured in our hearts that we do have the Spirit of God. Because as he says here, very plainly, if you do not have the Spirit of God, you have no part of God. You cannot please God if you live in the flesh, only if you live in the Spirit. Notice in the following verses here in chapter 8, he says, So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, for if you... Live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Very plain and simple. There's nothing that has to be interpreted in those words. Uh, And Lent is a time of putting the flesh to death. It's 40 days where we say to our body, you're not going to have X, Y, Z. We're not going to watch this or we're not going to do that. And your body says, well, I like to do that. And I want to do this or that. And you say, no. There's something more to life than the things that you enjoy. The things that make us happy. It's what Jesus says to Satan when he's tempted to turn the stones into bread. And that is, we are designed to live off of not just bread, but the Spirit and the Word of God. And the Word of God is produced by the Holy Spirit. He says this, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery, verse 15, to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The first word that is used in correlation with the Holy Spirit is adoption. We are adopted when we receive the Spirit into His family. Now, For Paul, adoption was really a pagan practice by the Romans. The Jews really didn't adopt many people. Um, That was purely a a Roman practice. And normally it was a king who, if he succeeded another king, he would adopt that king's family besides killing them. Instead of killing them all off in order not to have a rival, he would instead adopt them and they could sit at his table for the rest of their life. It was something that also David did, remember, with Mephibosheth. Remember, he did Hesed, the Bible says. He made covenant with Mephibosheth, which is a mouthful. Um, he was actually paralyzed. Um, and he, he was able to sit at the king's table for the rest of his life. Um, we, Paul says, are adopted into the family of God. The divine family of the Holy Trinity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He has reached out to us As humans, He's not only reached out His hand, but He's actually become one of us. It's what the Gospel is based on. Jesus has taken not just the form of human humanity, He's actually taken on a body in order to save us. And it's His body that saves. It's His person that saves. It's not an idea about Jesus. It's not what you think about Jesus. It's not just believing in your head that saves you. It's His body that saves you. 
It's His blood that atones for your sin and makes a way to even communicate with God. Breaks down the barrier between us and God. Ephesians 1.5 says that He has predestined us for adoption. So before the creation, He already knew that He was going to adopt us into His family. He knew we would go astray. There was no plan B. You know, it was not, not like God had plan A and then everything got messed up and now He had to scramble for plan B like they may have to do in the game tonight. You know, Eli may be sitting back there and all of a sudden the defense does something and, oh great, now we've got to go to plan B. And plan B is kind of secondary. God has no plan B. Everything is plan A. This was from the beginning that He saw you and called you for adoption. Not to live on your own. Not to live out there as an orphan without help in the world. But instead, to be adopted not only into God Himself, Father, Son, and Spirit, but also into the church. This is what happens when you're baptized. You are born into a new life. You raise out of the water... The water symbolizes cleansing from the old life into a new life, both in Christ and in the church. We then become heirs, Paul says, of all that God has to offer us. It's like being adopted by a royal family. I mean, there's some kind of show, I forget what it is, that Jessica watches about some girl who... You know, really, is a queen or a princess in another country or whatever. Some kind of there you go, Princess Diaries. There you go, very original um, in its naming. But Princess Diaries, and she finds out that she has this huge inheritance um, that she had no idea about before. She was of royal blood, and she didn't know about it. She was just living a normal life. We have royal blood. We can be co-regents with God. That's what he he is. He's come down to us in order to raise us up so that we can be like him, so that we can live his kind of life. Again, not according to the flesh only, but according to the spirit. And so when God comes in, he raises us up, invites us into his home, invites us to his very table to sup with him. And he with us. You know, it's fascinating. The guy who did the painting of Jesus knocking at the door. Jesus is there knocking at the door and there's no handle on the outside. Because the door must be open from the inside. He's not going to break in. He invites us to his table, but we must allow him in our lives. Are we king? Do we have our own little kingdom that we've built in this life? Or are we allowing God to be king by His Spirit in our hearts? You can try to build your kingdom, but what Paul says, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. He's very clear, and so is the Old Testament, that the wages of sin, the payment of sin, if you follow the path of the wicked, you become nothing. It's not like you just lose a couple things. You become nothing. You have nothing. And when the Spirit adopts us, in our hearts we cry, Abba, Father. 
which in you know the Hebrew here is daddy. You know, I don't always call my father father. Sometimes I call him dad. You know, you typically have for those who are close to you, you typically have personal names for them, like Chubbers. At least that's what I call her. They call her Chubbs. How does she say? How does Reagan say it? Rada Chubbs. Rada Chubbs. Rada Chubbs. That's all one word. It's no, not even a hyphen in between the way she says it. But those you are close to, you have personal names for them. When the Spirit of God comes into our hearts, we have a personal name for God. We are on such a level with God that we can call Him our Father, our Dad. Not only that, here's another term in the New Testament. If you'll look at Ephesians chapter 1, which I've already referenced once. Turn to Ephesians 1 and verse 13 says this, In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. Seal is a property word. I seal something with my... And and of course in the ancient days, the way you would seal an envelope or uh, a letter would be with your own personal signet. A lot of times it would be a signet ring, which is kind of a fat ring that you would push down into the the wax would be placed on it and you push it down and it would be your seal be your family seal, your royal uh, lineage, if you will. So sealing has to do with property. You are God's property. When you are baptized into the death of Jesus Christ and are raised in the newness of life, you are marked. He presses His image into your heart. You are a new life. You're not your own, Paul says. But we struggle against that. Our flesh doesn't like someone else ruling in our hearts. We like to do what we like to do. We like doing whatever we want to do. And yet, when the Spirit comes in, He presses on us His image and seals us as His own. We belong to God. Most Christians just don't understand fully what we have in the Holy Spirit. We have all the power, all the love that we need to live a godly life. There are no more excuses. God used to wink at ignorance, the Hebrew writer says. But He doesn't any longer. Why? Because the Holy Spirit has been given in the fullness of God. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity says near the end of his book, he says, uh, you know, you would look at a scene of something that goes on nightly, which is somebody getting down on their knees maybe and praying before they go to bed or lying there in their bed praying before they drift off to sleep. He says, you know, it looks like not not much is happening. But if you could just see behind the scenes, 
you would see that God is at work in a person's heart. He's in us. Have you not heard yet Paul's theology here? In Christ, in the Spirit, in Him. He says it multiple times in all of our readings this morning. He says there's something amazing going on that cannot be seen. God is actually in us doing things to us. Changing some of our passions. Pressing on us how we ought to act. We know how we ought to act, but just like children, we do what we want to do. And He presses on us. He impresses us to do the right thing. He tells us that we are His children. You're a son of God. You're a daughter of God. Not of your own doing. Not just of your parents. But of God. you are God's. You're not Satan's. You're not alcohol's. You're not lust. You're not sin. You're not bad. You are God's. The world presses on us too. Weighs us down. Sin eats us alive like a cancer. And God's Spirit comes in and says, No, you are not those things. It reminds me of the scene in the Lord of the Rings where all the different armies are pressing and pressing and pressing and everything's coming down and all there is is darkness across the land and it looks like the kingdom's about to be run over. They're you know, busting in on the door and all of a sudden the horses come riding out and just... And all of a sudden armies from other sides and ships pull in and there's a whole cavalry. That's the Spirit of God. He has come and with His coming comes all power. Not power of evil, but power to do what is right. To be what you know you were created to be. He has raised us up. You are not your own. He's doing things in your heart. He can save you from yourself if we'll only let Him. Again, the sacrament of baptism marks a person as God's own. They can shut the door. They can grieve the Spirit. There's warnings all over Scripture not to trample the blood of Christ. Those are real possibilities. Why warn somebody if the bridge isn't out? The Scripture is being very serious about the fact that you can close the door. And only you can. No one can take you from the hand of God, but you can step out. You can let love grow cold and become dead as you disconnect yourself from the vine. And Paul says, don't do that because you've been marked. God has striven with you all of your life. His Spirit always makes the first hit. You think you came to God when in fact He's the one who has come to you. Ephesians 14 gives us our third word for the Holy Spirit and what He brings. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance. The Holy Spirit is God's down payment. 
You know how when you go to buy a house or a car, you can't just say, yeah, I want the whole thing on a lien. I want the whole thing on a loan. No, they make you put a down payment. Why? Because they want to know that you're invested in this, that you're actually going to pay off. You have to have either collateral or a down payment. Why? Because they got to know that you are actually invested in this, not just going to do like some people do at Walmart and buy a TV for two weeks and then take it back after the Super Bowl's over. They want a down payment that you're not going to get back. God is invested in us. Don't you see what He's done for us? He's put His best investment on us. The Gospel doesn't move forward forward unless we move forward. And when somebody dies in stride, it makes me check my own calling. When they're hard at work for the kingdom and they pass away, there's an empty place. And God is always looking for volunteers. He has work to be done because He's given us the Spirit who is the guarantee, the down payment on our future inheritance. We're not to heaven yet. We're not home yet. Steve made it home Friday night. He's home. He can rest now. There's no more work to be done. The mission's over for him. But it's not for you. It's not for me. We work until he comes. We work until we pass away from this life. His pledge to us is the Holy Spirit. He doesn't give us something secondary. It's fascinating. We come to God by God. We are saved by God by God. Everything is God's grace. It's why the Christian life is lived only in His grace. And His grace is offered here today, this morning. It's offered in His Word. It's offered in the prayers we've offered. It's offered in this meal that He has provided with His own body and blood. These are means of His grace. You come to God not on your own terms, but instead on God's terms. And these are His terms. This is His terms. His Holy Spirit, who lives in us, wants to make His abode with us is His pledge for us. He's given us nothing less than Himself. You know, when Jackson and Baylor get scared, uh, for instance, in a thunderstorm, and they cry out, Daddy! Do I just throw back a word to them? Do I just go hand them a piece of paper and say, look, son, read about thunderstorms. It's not that big of a deal. Do I tell them to go watch the Weather Channel and you know, get calmed down because weather patterns aren't that bad most of the time? No. What do they want? They want me. They want my body. They want me in the room with them. You ever been so scared that you just thought to yourself, if somebody was just in the woods with me, in the mountains with me, even... You know, half a mile away. If I just knew somebody was near, I would feel a little bit better about my situation. We just want flesh and blood. 
And this is what Jesus offers to us in the Spirit of Christ. He promises to meet us here in this place and in particular this meal. In flesh and blood. And He says in John 6, if you don't eat of My flesh and drink of My blood, you have no part with Me. And many turn away and say, that's too, that's too much. I don't know about all that. A pledge, this guarantee, if you will, the term here uh, in, the, in the Greek actually has to do with an engagement ring. God has put an engagement ring on us and that engagement ring is His Holy Spirit. It promises that now we are His now. We're not anybody else's. We're not promised to anybody else, but that there's also a day coming when there will be a wedding. There will be a marriage of us and God fully. Can we be one with Christ now? Yes. But one day we will see Him face to face. You know, I've talked about God a lot in my life. Most of my life. I mean, I feel like I've always been an apologist. Early on I was an apologist for Santa Claus, but then it turned into Jesus at school. And I was telling atheists and so on and so forth, all these different... And I've said a lot of words about Jesus. I've read a lot of books about Jesus. A lot of commentaries about Jesus. Sang a lot of songs about Jesus. Read a lot of creeds and said a lot of creeds and wrote a lot of papers about Jesus. But it's one thing to talk about someone. It's another thing to look them in the face. And one day, the one that I speak about, (laughs) the one that I sing about and teach about and trust and love and have given my life to, and given my kids' life to, I'll be able to look into His face. One day, faith will no longer be needed. Hope will be realized. But love will never, ever, ever pass away. And love is the Holy Spirit. Love is not some fourth component of God. Love is His Spirit. The Father loves the Son because the Spirit is between the two. Unifies the two. And if you want to be in union with God, you must have God's Spirit. Because as Romans 8.23 says, going back to Romans real quick and going further down, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Not only is the Spirit the one who adopts us, seals us, engages us, but He's also the first fruits of God. Now, when the Spirit comes into our life, He changes us. Will we be changed fully when we get to heaven? Yes. 
But He changes us now. Here. We can live pleasing to God. God is not unpleasable. I felt like most of my life my dad was unpleasable. You know, I did something and I thought, man, this is awesome. And everybody else thought it was awesome. But he just, yeah, yeah, that's pretty good, whatever. You know, it's... He never gave me, you know, probably because I, he figured I already had enough uh, confidence <clears throat> that he didn't need to add to that confidence. But nonetheless, I felt like most of my life I couldn't please him, you know? <clears throat> and of course, in his older age, as he is aged now, and he loves my grandchildren in a way he never loved me, um, he says now that he's proud of me, you know, he says that I'm pleasing to him. But you know, God, you can please Him. You don't have to always be dumb and stupid and just a buffoon, always falling into your own traps. You're not, you're not stupid to Him. You're everything to Him. He watches you. He looks at you. He loves you. He plans for you. He longs to be with you. He gives us His first fruits, which is the Spirit. The Spirit of change, the Spirit of hope, the Spirit of love and forgiveness. And then lastly, in 1 Thessalonians, Paul tips us off to the fifth word term that's used concerning the Holy Spirit. And that is in verse 5. Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction or full assurance. You know what's amazing about Christianity is that you can know that you are in Christ. You can know that you are at peace with God. One thing that was said about the Methodists was that they died well. Now, we never get to see hardly anybody die today because they die in a hospital room surrounded by nurses and doctors normally by themselves without family families down the hallway or in another room but back in the day people died with everyone around them i mean jessica today back when the methodism started would be dead she would no longer be with us because she had uh, periappendicitis she'd be dead and we would have known it we would have known, she'd had a couple days with us and then she'd have been gone But the one thing that was noticed to them was they died well. They weren't scared. They weren't screaming. They weren't angry. They died peacefully. Why? Because they had assurance in their hearts that they were at peace with God. Jessica asked Nana a very direct question. Are you at peace with God, Nana? You may be facing the end of your life. Are you at peace? Are you at peace? If you walk out of here and it's your last time to walk out of here, are you at peace with God? you can know that you're at peace with Him. (laughs) You can know that. He gives us full assurance that we are His sons and daughters. You're not your own. You've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. You've been given God's down payment. He's invested in your salvation. Do not snub it. Do not look the other way. You know how when you're in trouble, you don't like to look somebody in the face, in the eyes. 
That's why people always look down when they're in trouble. If you ever caught somebody doing something. Though they don't, nobody really looks you in the eyes. They kind of look away or their eyes are darting. Just like Jackson, you know. Catch him doing something. Jackson, look at me. You know, he's looking everywhere else but me. He doesn't want to look at me. <coughs> Jesus is saying to us this morning, look into my face. My face is the Holy Spirit who wants to dwell in you. The Spirit of Christ who is here in this room. Are you living in the Spirit this morning? Do you know that you are at peace with God? You can. We're going to respond this morning. Before we take communion, I just, Rachel, could we sing through?